Welcome to Alphanumeric, the fiction and poetry podcast featuring pieces selected from the award-winning Non-Binary Review. Today, The Demon You Don't See by Sumitra Singha. Evening bruises the sky. Nightfall is quick here. Mock used to caution us to stay indoors at this time, especially with the west wind blowing off the Straits of Malacca. Inimasahantu, she'd say, the time of the spirits. A chill wind stirs the leaves, pimpling my bare arms. There's a banana blossom hanging almost to the ground, swollen and purple, suggestive of violence. Each tree fruits only once, then dies, birthing a new shoot to take its place. The villagers will be angry with me for taking the blossom, but Sarima loves the heart of the flower. I pull my father's keris from my sarong waistband and muttering the incantation, deftly behead the flower off the tree. It is a good one, long as my arm. Ah, I draw in a sibilant breath. I've pinked my forearm, the bite stinging. I should be more careful. Immediately, the smell of frangipani coils around me. Sarima, I say, looking for her in the gloom. Lanterns outside the Kangpung houses wink in the waters of the straits. This is our lifeblood, Mak used to say, or Mat Dia. Respect it. Sarima emerges from the thicket. Her sarong paints itself onto her legs, long and lithe like the sambar deer the men hunt for our annual feast. She clucks her tongue. You've hurt yourself. Let me see. She reaches for my arm. I pull it away. I'm so clumsy, I chuckle to soften it. Yes, you get that from Mak. She's so clumsy. Was, Ima, she was clumsy. Ima laughs like water tripping over stones. I forget so easily. It troubles me the way she talks of Mak, like she knew her at all. Mak died in childbirth with Ima. It is true, she was clumsy, but Ima can only know this from Aya's stories. Don't be jealous, Kak, Ima says. My feelings write themselves on my face. My gaze falls. Let's get this Bunga Pisang home before anyone sees. Let me carry it, Kak. Your arm needs attention. I'm okay. I pull the flower away from her. She doesn't say anything, just follows. At home, I find an old sarong to tear into strips, and I bind my forearm tight. It stings, and the pressure is uncomfortable. I bind tighter to hold it all in. Sarima is busy peeling away the thick outer layers of the banana blossom, and she finds the heart, white, creamy, swollen with purpose. It seems to beat in her hand like a live thing. I put it in the steamer. On the batugiling, I grind chili, garlic, and ginger, working the stone rolling pin back and forth to avoid looking at Ima. The piercing smell makes my eyes water, as the blossom steams, I make sambal, adding belacan, fetid, and earthy to the ground ingredients. Sedap, Ima says, her tongue poking out to taste the air like a snake. Her teeth flash at me, glinting like diamonds, and her eyes crinkle with unvoiced laughter. They're deep and black like the night. She is breathtaking, just like Mak. I take after Aya, our father. Mine are simple, serviceable features. I put rice, sambal, and the steamed heart of the banana blossom on a plate for her. The fingers of her right hand come together in a little bud, gathering the food together. She brings her hand to her mouth, dropping the ball of food in neatly. 
As she chews, a dimple peeks from her left cheek. I have the exact same one, a comma in our faces, both separating and joining us. Ima came seven years after me, after many miscarriages. She was Mock's little miracle. Mock would spend hours rubbing her belly, singing old lullabies, lost in a daydream. When the time came, Mock labored for hours, pushing hard against something that didn't want to let her go. Ima's face was blue and engorged. The cord coiled around her neck like a python. Of course, the midwife focused on the baby. We didn't notice the pool of red bathing Mock, turning the floor into a slick ocean until it was too late. She ebbed away, just like a wave returning to the straits. Ima finishes the meal, then emits a little burp, placing her fingers over her lips, the ultimate compliment. The women of the village fed her, bathed her, played with her when she was a baby. Hentiknya, they'd say, admiring her perfect black hair, her rosebud mouth, her chubby fingers. All I could see was Mak, like Ima had leached her essence and taken it all for herself. I would scold myself for my thoughts. She was just an innocent baby after all, but sometimes I would catch a knowing glint in her eye or a calculating frown, and I would wonder. She had a way of dimpling at people, pleading tolong in a voice like bells. Our friends and neighbors would unhesitatingly do anything for her. I spoke with Aya about it. She's too demanding, Aya. You must say something. Aya would wave me away. She's just a little child who has lost her mother. Have some sympathy. I felt his words in my gut like a twisting knife. I had lost my mother also. When she was five, her playmate fell, skinning her knee. Ima dashed to her, wiping her tears, crooning a lullaby. But then she put her mouth straight on the girl's knee and began sucking. The girl giggled at first, thinking Ima was trying to help, but soon her face paled and she yelped in pain. Ima! I pulled her off. She wiped a smear of blood off her lips and went inside, a bland expression on her face. Aya merely laughed when I told him the story. He said kids do strange things all the time and I should stop worrying, but I had my doubts. I remembered the story Mak had told us about the Pontianak, the blood-sucking demon, preternaturally attractive, formed from a stillborn fetus. Aya gave an irritated sigh, calling me superstitious. Had I forgotten that it was Mak who had died and not Ima? But the image of Ima's blue body, still and unbreathing, was frozen in my mind. Ima is always hungry, but not for food. I spend my days cleaning and cooking and my nights with Aya mending his nets or preparing fish for drying, except when he goes to the headman's hut for the weekly meeting, like tonight. Ima spends her days exploring, at first just our village, then the surrounding ones, but soon the town called to her with the clamor of engines and the shouts of the street vendors. It isn't seemly, but she won't listen to me. Even Aya tells me to stop being so old-fashioned when Ima beseeches him. She returns with her hair undone, the buttons of her baju askew. The villagers whisper like snakes when she walks past. There's an assalamu alaikum at the door in a halting tenor. It is a voice I know well. Wa alaikum salam, Imran, I say, welcoming our neighbor. We've known each other all our lives. We played in the mangroves, catching mudskippers and pulling leeches off each other. After Mak died, there was no more playing. Imran comes over now and again, though 
probably not to visit me. Do I smell bunga pisang? he says. I fetch a plate for him and load it. He loves my cooking. As I hand it to him, our fingers brush. It sends a hot pulsing up my injured arm, and I pull away. When we were younger, we'd touch each other frequently, unselfconsciously. He'd crouch next to me, linking fingers, pointing out crab holes, or he would intertwine our legs while swimming in the straits. Ima walks toward him, exaggerating the swing of her hips. She places the tips of her fingers on his upper arm. All that hard work suits you, Imran, she says. He is filled out. Ropey muscles crawl up his shoulder and around his neck. His face is clean and clear, like his features have been carved with a knife. Ima is so obvious, and yet he cannot avoid beaming at her. Yes, Ima, come out with us sometime. Me? On a sampan? Fishing? She trills. I wouldn't know what to do. I would. My voice is like lemons. Oh, of course, Kak. You are much more practical. Imran finishes his food and thanks me while washing his hands. With that little waver in his voice, he asks, Would you like to, um, go for a walk? Ima clasps her hands together as if she's been offered a great gift. That would be wonderful. But I don't miss the side glance she gives me, and she doesn't miss the patch of color on my cheeks. I busy myself with the dishes, clanking them together. The detergent feels rough and dry on my hands. They leave without saying goodbye. When I'm done, I go outside. The night air hangs low, pressing the breath back into my lungs. My skin feels hot, too tight. Suddenly, a shriek pierces the sky, loud and bright. It is to my right, close to the water. I can hear a scuffle, then a groan. Imran, surely. I check that my caress is in my waistband and run to the shore. The sandy ground feels brittle underfoot, but I run on, neatly avoiding tree roots. I've run this path all my life. On the shore, I see them on the ground, twisting like worms. For a moment I'm frozen, but then Imran calls out, his breath coming in ragged gasps. I run, drying Ayaz Karis. Imma's teeth glint in the moonlight, pointed like daggers. She is about to sink them into his neck. He arches away, but she has her knees clamped around him. His sinews bulge and strain. She hasn't seen me. Keeping to the shadow of a coconut tree, I creep toward them. She must be stopped. Without hesitation, I bury the caris into the back of her neck. It is the only way to stop a pointyanak. Ima stares at me blankly. Ka, a mere whisper, and she collapses. What? Imran shouts. What have you done? He cradles her, and that's when I notice. His pants are around his ankles, his tumescent penis waving like a pennant. Her buttons are undone, her sarong hiked up around her hips. But, I say, she was about to... About to what? I turn Ima over to show him her fangs, the Pontianak stigma at the back of her neck. But there's nothing. Just her still, still body. Ima? I stutter, hauling her onto my lap. Imran tries to pull me away, but I brandish the caress and he backs away. Ima! Wake up! I can make more bunga pisang! But she's gone. Her blood, her bright red human blood, drains to the straits, home to Mak. This has been The Devil You Don't See by Sumitra Singha, read for you by Lisa Quintana. 
Our music was Blood Red Sky by Shadows and Echoes, provided by Pixabay.com. Alphanumeric is a production of Zoetic Press and is mixed and mastered by our fabulous podcast producers, Madison Ellingsworth and Joya Taftik. You can get non-binary review in a three-format bundle that can be read on any device by going to ZoeticPress.com. And get excited, because in just over a week, you can read this and a whole bunch of new pieces in our newest issue, issue number 35, Old Friends, available March 1st. If you love us as much as we love you, please support us by rating us on your favorite podcast app and leaving us a swell review. We'd appreciate it more than demons appreciate blood. You should also subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Non-binary review, because humans are hardwired to tell stories.